iPod Touch that we found at home. I don't even know for sure what's on it. Which harmony do you use? I had it turned on, but I don't charge. Probably because you know, the charger's broke. I don't have that kind of charger. You sing that middle one on the other side. I sing the top one. Top one.
All right, good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, just a couple of quick things, and I won't stay up in front of you long. This go round. Uh, I do want to remind you there is a team leader meeting not long after the service today. We have some important time of prayer, especially to do together. Um, and then on top of that, and then on top of that, we will have uh, a couple of important topics to discuss and things like that. And in case you hadn't noted, noticed that there are not many Sundays left before Christmas. It's, it's right here. I don't know what happened to 2020, but here we go. We're right into Christmas and then New Year's in 2021. Yesterday was 12-12-2020. We've got all kind of weird numbers coming up in January. Today is 12-13-2020 and also Amalia and Ricky's wedding anniversary. Woo-hoo! Yay! Been married at least a few years now, right? Six? Man. Time is flying. That's just, wow. Yes. 2014, 12, 13, 14. This is the only wedding anniversary that's actually really easy to remember. They, they got 12, 13, 14 was when they were married. Mine was like June 8 some years ago. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. But I knew what year we got married. Sherry couldn't remember year number time. I'm, I'm keeping that for a nice long time. We debated, and I, and I turned out to be right what year we got married. So, all right. <laughs> okay. All right. So we're going to pray together and then we're going to worship uh, God and hear from the word and we're going to sing some songs together. And I hope you've maybe uh, been studying your Bibles and listening and maybe been spoke to this week by the Lord. You might share something at the inspirational moment time. Who knows? God's going to do some amazing stuff. That's what we know. And we're going to reach new heights in Jesus. That's the goal. And it is when you let Jesus lead, you always reach new heights in Jesus. So let's pray together today. Father in heaven, we do thank you so much. You are an awesome God. You created the universe, the megaverse, everything that there is. And at the same time, you know that men messed it up. Enemies arose to try to take over control. Become like you. Exert our power and authority in a way that did not honor you. And we have done the same many days of our lives. We ask your forgiveness. We thank you that it's available through Jesus, your son. We really have so much to thank you for. Even in the middle of a pandemic, we have been protected. We have been guarded. We have been allowed to work in the kingdom of advance. We have been given purpose and power to carry out that purpose. We are grateful. We've been given this place, these chairs, lights, the instruments, the instrumentalists. We've been able to stay together as a body. We've, we've lost some and lost connection with some. Quite a piece of us missing. And we ask you, Lord, to reunite, to regenerate, most importantly, to grow your people in numbers and in maturity, so that we can become a little bit more each day like you would have us to be. Reaching new heights in Jesus. Take our worship now. We pray we'll sing with not proud voices, maybe not even skilled voices, but with voices coming from a joyful heart, knowing we have reason today to honor a God who would send his own son to die for us. 
And perhaps the sacrifice on the cross was a truly amazing, tremendous sacrifice. But then, it's hard for us to imagine leaving heaven to come to earth to lay cold and poor but not hopeless amongst men. Perhaps that was the greater sacrifice. We anticipate your coming into our midst and leading our service. We praise you for it in Jesus' precious name.
Christmas season version of inspirational moment is glittery bulbs. Okay, so we come to that moment in time where we ask ourselves how the Lord has been speaking through His Word this week, or through meditation and prayer, or maybe while you were traveling along, what did you see? And God said, hey, pay attention to that. So that's where we're at. So I hope you brought something in mind, or you've been thinking, or looking, or listening. What do you got? So, coming out of, uh, and I'm just saying the chapters, not reading the chapters, the verses, but we could read the chapter and get the verses, but 1 Corinthians 12, James chapter 1, Romans 8. Here's what it says, it says in 1 Corinthians 12, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them to all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And in James chapter 1, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And then Romans chapter 8. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs and co-heirs of Christ, and fellows of Christ. Um, so, the other, I, I've been at work, working tons of hours, 12s here, 12s not, um, mask on my face, and just a lot of stuff going on. Um, I, I try to be frank, but uh, just recently I've uh, been in, a, I guess it's like I say it's like I understand it, but put myself in a selfish pit. I was throwing my pity party, I was in my little pit, and I didn't want to come out. And, you know, the only way to come out is I cry out to the Lord. And, and uh, a brother reached out to me, but he didn't just let me get out of the pit. He encouraged me that God can help me out of this pit. And he encouraged me that uh, um, with God's help and you making those choices, you can get out. And I got out. And I didn't think I was. And I made a lot of boundary steps and adjustments in my life to, to stay out of the selfish pit. But regardless, um, because of that, I was at work and I was uh, came in early. And a guy I see all the time, and and we talk about sports, or we talk about something here and there, and just God showed up, and had this awesome, and he's a Christian, and he shared some amazing things, and we shared some amazing truths, and uh, just, I'm just thankful for God's good and perfect gifts every day that reaches out to us. I didn't know if you guys know this, but I, I get happy about this stuff, but you can actually look up Charles Spurgeon's sermon notes on an app. It's so cool. Like... The, no idea, like, when we actually, the glory and the goodness that we can use for this smartphone. There's actually some amazing things in your features. If you have any questions, call me. I, I, and so that just, that amazed me. I was just so excited that God would still use me, you know, after being dumb and stupid. But no matter what, um, this is where it gets kind of cool. I was, in our bathroom, we have, uh, like, encouraging things sometimes. They just put them there because, you know, you're... You're right there, so you see it. And uh, it says, count your blessings. It was for Thanksgiving. And I was like, count your blessings. It's like, and I'm like, like all, the, the, all the things they were saying was kind of worldly, and it's nice to think about all of those blessings. But the greatest blessing to have is Christ Jesus. There's no greater blessing. And uh, I just want to know what the word blessing was. So look up the definition of blessing. And I'm sure we've all heard of it, but there's just two cool things I found. In, in, uh, in, the, in the Greek, or in the Hebrew, it says, God's favor and protection... But it says, of a priest 
pronounce words in a religious rite to confer or invoke divine favor upon, ask God to look favorably upon. And then I was like, that really spoke to me, God's protection and favor, which was so great. But then it was like it said, pronounce words. And I was like, well, Jesus is our high priest. And, you know, he, he invoked divine prayer. He, he asked God to look favorably upon us. Amen. Isn't right. that amazing that the high priest, Christ Jesus, it, it, you know, when we say we are blessed, it's because God speaks that blessing on us. It, 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 we didn't deserve that blessing. I didn't deserve to get out of that pit. I didn't deserve to talk to that person. I don't deserve any of that stuff. And even this uh, Christmas coming up, people are going to find hope again, whether it's, you know, the S man, you know, or the season, you know, to believe, whatever, all that stuff. And it's hope. But it, 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 in this world, it's hope. But it's not a living hope. You know, it's not, I'm not going to say it's false hope, but hope that doesn't last to me is not hope. There, we're, we're all looking for something that eventually is going to fade, that eventually is going to, you know, be not there. But we have a living hope. And this is what I wanted to finish with. I shared this years ago, and I, I just think it's awesome. You know, the Spirit Himself testifies our spirit. We are children of God. And I think even though we don't know what month Jesus was born, but we all think about this month, the Spirit Himself, Christ Jesus, testifies about His Spirit, that Christ the Savior was born Himself. He's the one that's sharing this with us. He's the one that's sharing His mercy and goodness with us. When we're listening to a song, even if it's not of God, God will, out of His redemption, out of His glory, out of Him being holy and true, He will speak to us. Right. And it's so awesome and encouraging to know that, that Himself right now is making us think about Christmas. Not like the enemy who puts thoughts in our head, but speaking to us, genuinely reaching out and saying, yeah, I'm coming. I'm born. I was born as a savior. I'm the only hope you have. And so I just encourage you or re-encourage you, all of us, to, to just be thankful. And, and that, like Pastor Dan said the other day, we have a right relationship with God. We don't have a wrong. We, we do wrong sometimes. We have a right relationship with God because Jesus righteously suffered, died, and rose again. And the only reason we have that righteousness is because of Christ's righteousness in us. What an amazing gift we have today that the world and no one can take it from us. It, it is ours only because of what Christ has done. So I could go on and on and on. What an amazing <laughs> gift we have. That's what Christmas is always going to be. Reminding us that Christ was born. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, you know, sometimes, especially this year, uh, it's really easy to get down on yourself and feel like uh, speaking out of personal experience here like you know I've had many times this year where I felt worthless to God and uh, like I couldn't do anything to help the kingdom or you know to, to pursue his goals but uh, in Matthew 3 1 uh, we have a picture of John the Baptist who's coming to prepare the way for Jesus. And it says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. First of all, he's creeping around the wilderness preaching at people. Sounds like a boogeyman if you ask me. <laughs> it says, uh, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who has spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. 
prepare the way the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Okay? So, what this tells me is, I'm down on myself, I feel like I can't do anything. You know, I'm, I'm not one of these big flashy, you know, preachers in the big mega church or whatever that wears a thousand dollar Armani suit. Um, but then I look at the one who was spoken about in prophecy, who's preparing the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. So out in the wilderness, not in the big flashy temple. He's wearing camel hair clothes and eating bugs and honey. And it kind of puts it back in perspective. Um, God's going to use anybody that he deems uh, necessary to, to further his kingdom. And uh, if you're not qualified, he's going to qualify you. Amen. He's going to give you the tools that you need to do that. And uh, like I said, or like I read, John the Baptist was spoken about in prophecy. So what if, what if one day you find out that you were spoken about in prophecy. That would make you feel a little more worthwhile, right? Sure. A little more worthy to, to do what you need to do. So just live every day like you've been spoken about in prophecy. Just push God's word. Uh, tell people about Jesus. Because, uh, you know, the Bible talks about God's children a whole lot. So maybe we are spoken about in prophecy. Amen.
Dan just mentioned briefly was what's good about the study is it's a book, but it's he's, this, the author's compiled a bunch of scripture, and you have to focus on that scripture to get anything out of it. So with that, and, and if, if, if you if you're praying, you're prayerfully looking at the scriptures, God will point things out to you, and uh, that's what it's all about. Right, and then you record those things that God pointed out to you, and then you ponder on them, you chew on them, you do whatever you got to do with them to mold you to be what you're supposed to be, you know, you're supposed to be, what God wants you to be. But anyway, so I did that this morning, and then I was thinking about that, and then um, about a year or so ago, not this morning, but a year or so ago, about a year or so ago, my, my, uh, my dad's pastor, for some reason, started texting me, like, sermon notes or a brief sermon, captions, or whatever you want to call it, and I found out my sister uh, get, get, gave me my uh, phone number, and that's how, it, that's how it happened, but it's pretty good, so he sent stuff, so, but anyway, this this morning, he sent, he sent uh, a text, and uh, I want to share a little bit of with you, it's basically, the, the topic is overcoming addictions, and it says, uh, he starts, starts off by saying, before judging others, or in the trap of addiction and suffering for the choices they have made, listen to these verses and remember where you were for giving yourself to him and surrender. The verses are uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. I just want to read them real quick. And you were done in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, and those who desires of the flesh, and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. I'm going to keep going. And raise, and raise us up with him, and seat us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God before prepared before beforehand that we could walk in them. So it reminds us to uh, think where we were, where we're at now, and what he's got planned for us. And uh, he shares this, I, I'm thinking it's a poem. And it's called, Remind Me, Dear Lord. The things that I love and hold dear to my heart are just borrowed. They're not mine, not mine at all. Jesus only lets me use them to brighten my life. So remind me, remind me, dear Lord. Roll back the curtain of memory now and then. Show me where you brought me from and where I could have been. Lord, I'm only, Lord, I'm only human, and humans forget. So remind me, remind me, dear Lord. Nothing good have I done to deserve God's own son. I'm not worthy of the scars in his hands. Yet he chose the road to Calvary to die in my stead. Why you love me, I can't understand. Go back to Kirk of memory now and then. Show me where you were, where you brought me from and where I could have been. Lord, I'm only human, and humans forget. So remind me, remind me, dear Lord. 
that to me just put my uh, put humility right in my face. How to be humble and just wipe out all my pride. It's very funny to think about it. How God put study that that I was kind of going through and thinking on, and then brought somebody from Mississippi right in my face and showed me what it was all about. It's kind of cool. Amen. God is speaking, but encourage you to listen, read, study, meditate, take the time. As he said, any song you might listen to, you might pick out the words. As he said, sometimes we need to remember where we were and how we got here, and then today is a good day to be listening to the God that brought you out of darkness into light. And that will always be true. That's a statement that's true every day. All right, so we're going to pray. You got a word? Okay, prayer request, yes. Yeah. Um, as a friend of family that had struggled with addiction in previous years, he was about a year clean. Then he got into a car accident, and his wife and daughter died. And apparently he fell back into it. Survival skill thing. And I guess on Friday they found him dead in his apartment due to an overdose. And I also found out that my uncle is most likely back into his old addictions. And my mom's taking it really hard because she was really close with a friend and he had talked to her a couple weeks ago and she had the suspicion that that's what he was back into just because of the way he looked. And he was supposed to come over and talk to her. I never did. So she kind of Unfortunately, that story repeats, I'm sure, tens of thousands of times all across the country right now. There, there is a definite trend, for lack of a better word, of people getting into the darker side of life out of the whole thing with pandemic and civil unrest and, um, and just everything that's going on. And so um, we need to pray for the family, obviously, and for you and for your mom. And, and, um, and then I don't know if you know or not, last week we prayed for a woman named Anne, and she's gone to be with the Lord uh, over this week. And so we're continuing to pray for their family. Um, and uh, again, that also is a story that is repeating far too often. Thankfully, not, not for any of us. Uh, continue to pray for Nikki. I haven't heard in about 48 hours now, but she's in the hospital and doing a long exercise. Anybody heard anything more recent than that? to be, that we would be more God-like. Lord, as the one who watches over our world day in, day out, and even when we hear the dark things, the difficulties, um, 
that people are facing, we know that we are only seeing some small part of it. We are probably spared from the worst of it, even knowing the worst of it. Yet we lift these names up to you, these names who are called. We pray for healing. We pray for sustenance. The ability to persevere and to be found faithful and to do what it is that we can do. As a people here, anybody that we run into who's willing, Lord, I'm right now just hadn't been thinking about it, but I'm thinking of the man that I shared Christ with who <clears throat> believes he has less than a few months to live and he did not become a Christian, did not become born again, did not readily accept you. He did promise to think about it. But that lifeline offered, he didn't take it. And so many folks are in such a difficult place. And what hope is there if not hope in Jesus? And as Brother Tony Tate said, it's hope that doesn't last. That's what it is. And it comes and it goes. And with every coming, we feel a little better. And with every going, we feel way worse. So we ask you, Lord, to bless these families. To help us to humbly serve and look for every opportunity to advance the gospel. Uh, I don't want to wear camel's hair. And I don't want to eat locusts and honey for my food. But I want to serve my God. And we need your help to do so. So whatever it is, Lord, if it's camel's hair and locusts and honey for us. And if it's dying on a cross. We don't. We don't imagine that in our lifetime that could be the way it is. But it could be. And so we ask you, Lord, to govern our earth, our country, our state, our church, and our hearts. Take the tithes and offerings that are given today. Multiply them. Use them as you see fit. To grow your kingdom and advance the work of Jesus on the earth. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
get there. Give me one second. It doesn't work the same if you open it upside down. I can read it upside down, but then I might make a mistake. So. A little story has reoccurred in my life a number of times, and I, it was brought back to mind as I was preparing this message. I was thinking about uh, heroes. The message is uh, hero God, or God hero, you're, either way. Um, uh, so we were in the kitchen here, um, and the ladies were doing the dishes, and the dishes were now done, and they wanted to drain the sink. And we couldn't get the drain stopper out of the sink. It was wedged in there. It's a metal stopper, metal sink. We couldn't get it out. And, uh, and the ladies were struggling with it. And one of them came and asked me and said, hey, do you think you can get this out? And, and I'm thinking to myself, in the back of my mind, I said, you really probably wanted a strong person that's stronger than me to get this out, but I, I might be able to get it, improvise, whatever. So I started fiddling with it. No. And then I happened to notice there was a pair of pliers up in the window above the sink. And I thought, well, that's a strange place for a pair of pliers, unless, of course, it's for this purpose. So I grabbed the pliers and I got a hold of it and I levered it and popped it right out. And one of the ladies, I think it was Miss June, I'm not sure, said to me, you're my hero. And I said, well, if that's all it takes, if I'd have known that's all it took to be your hero, I'd have done that a long time ago. And, I, and then I realized that that statement and that the exchange of statements had happened many times over my life. We were in the kitchen at my house and... Um, uh, the drain was plugged, and what had happened was a fork, which is the strangest thing. It was a kid's fork, so it was big enough, and it had gone down the drain and was sitting in the drain from where the drain curved upward, and then hamburger grease or whatever had collected around that and built a stopper that was about this long. It was about three inches long of grease, and I don't know how it kept draining until it got to that point, but it was about three inches long of grease and a fork. And... So I opened the drain up and I took the stopper out and the fork out. I put it back together and as I got up, Sherry said, you're my hero. And I said, well, if I'd have known that was all it took to be your hero, I'd have done that a long time ago. And that's the joke. And I didn't realize I'd told it many times. And I want you to kind of just bear that in mind, if you would, as we look today at our scripture for the day. And the scripture for the day is Psalm 24. Amen. Brother Ron, Brother Tony, I'm going to call people by name. Can I get an Amen. Amen. All right. You know what amen means? So be it. So let it be, right? So that's a good time to say amen. Not so much when the pastor said people are dying from, from overdoses of drugs. That's not a good time to say amen. Um, but this is a good time to say amen. This is God's word. Okay? We have been looking at a series of texts, and all of the others up until this point were actually from the book of Isaiah. But here is an interesting text that scholars often relate in several different ways to the coming of Jesus. And as we go through it, I'll, I'll break it down just a little bit. It's not very long. Uh, we are going to read all of Psalm 24, the 10 verses. And I'll break it down a little bit and show you why it was they sort of think that, but where it actually probably came from in the day. Okay, so it's Psalm 24, beginning in verse 1, it says this. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Now this would have been a common thinking or understanding in Israel, the people of Israel. This psalm was probably written by David, and David surely would have thought that God made the universe and everything in it was owned by God. You've heard the cattle on a thousand hills, and we'll hear that again later, um, probably, and so on. God owns everything, and you could just get down to it and say that God made everything out of nothing, ex nihilo, he made everything out of nothing, and when he made everything out of nothing, he thereby gained ownership. 
Okay? If I go home today and I bake a cake, which I probably won't do because we have a bunch of Christmas cookies, so we don't really need cake right now. But if I did, if I went home and baked a cake, then what would be assumed is that the cake belongs to me because I baked it. And you say, well, I didn't make the flour, the egg, and so on. That's true, but I bought it, or my wife and I bought it, right? And so we would assume that the cake belonged to me. The universe belongs to God because God made it. That's what the psalmist is essentially saying. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it, for or because he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Now, if you know your Bible just a little bit, you know that God technically did not found the earth upon the seas or on the rivers, right? This is figurative and poetic language, as is often true in the Psalms. This is like a song that you would sing, and so it's poetic language. What God literally did was he forced the seas back and raise the dry land. Um, that's what he literally did. Um, but figuratively speaking, all things are essentially founded on water, the rivers, the oceans, and so on. Um, you need water to survive. You are composed of some, some say, two-thirds water. Um, and the surface of the earth, by the way, is covered with the same percentage of water approximately as the human body has in it which is pretty interesting when you think about it. So the earth is another body with the same approximate percentage of water as each of us has, which is kind of cool. But anyway, the bottom line was he pushed the oceans and the rivers back and founded the solid ground. And because God did that, he owns it. Verse 3, this is the question. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? So first of all, you've got to ask yourself, why does the psalmist go to asking that question based on what he just said. How does it follow? This is not a new psalm. Right? It's not a different stanza with a different thought. This is a logical, following verse 2, God founded the world completely and made everything. Out of that then, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? And so, it's about the, the character of God. So how can I come into God's presence? How can a person actually come up into God's presence if this is the God of the universe who created everything? He doesn't just own me. He owns everything. And then realistically, you could say, he owns me, but I have misused what he owns. Right? He owns creation, and I have misused creation. Right? And there's plenty of that going on all over the place. And so what person, what would a person be like who could ascend into the hill of the Lord based on the fact that God owns everything, and the misuse of men, having misused creation, misused God's possessions, what would it take for a person to be able to come up into his presence? That's the logic. And it says, and who may stand in his holy place? And the emphasis in that word, in, the, in that um, phrase in the Hebrew, is in the stand. If you, so it's kind of like to say this, who can come up into God's presence? And if you did manage to come up into God's presence for a second... Who could stand? And so that again speaks to the character of God, his awesome power, his awesome nature, his holiness is completely different from man, and so on, like we talked about last week. Who could go up into his presence? And if you managed to get there and you were there, who could stand in his holy place? How would you stand before God? What claim would you have? How could you possibly not, at the very least, fall on your face? But the reality is, how could you not actually probably just dissolve into a pile of bush before a person, a being like our God? Some years ago, I wrote a sermon when I was on Main Street. And uh, as part of the sermon, I had this imagery of myself 
And it was, it was like the second point or something. And I had this imagery of myself and the power of God and God's amazing character and power of God. And then me going, no, and pushing all of that away. And that's who we were before we got saved. We were misusing. And, and the truth is, whenever we go into sin now, it's the same way, right? It, you're pushing away all that God really has for you in order to just kind of pick some little tiny, tiny corner of this creation for yourself. One moment's choice. If I just want to do what God doesn't want me to do, And the psalmist is saying, who could go there into his presence? Who could stand in his holy place? You would be crushed. You would be destroyed. The holiest of men fell on their faces and babbled into the dirt because God or God's angel or Jesus demonstrated divinity. Verse 4. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. So now, follow the logic. We see the character of God in the first two verses, what he has done. He owns everything. He has established everything. Then in verse 3, we're asked, who could stand in his presence? Who could go there with him? Now in verse 4, we're going to get the answer to that question. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Well, clean hands means, uh, figuratively speaking, clean means usable by God, right? But we're talking about not sin, Talking about not misusing your hands, not doing things yourself that would be wrong. So who could stand in the holy place? Well, the one who, you could say it this way, has never done anything wrong with his hands. Well, that's going to be a problem for all of us, isn't it? Um, that's a definite problem developing there with the standard that God has set, who, who could stand in his holy place. You've got to have clean hands. And then it says, and a pure heart. And so, uh, gosh, that means your heart has to be right. There can't be junk in there, right? You can't have bad desires. You can't have arrogance. You can't have wanting to stand off God's opinion or teaching and your heart be resilient or hard toward what God is hearing. So if you want to stand in His holy place, you would need clean hands and a pure heart. And then this would also be the person who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and who has not sworn deceitfully. Okay, and so the first part just simply means you got to be a person who's true. You got to be who you are. In Christ, yes, born again in Christ, so not who you were, but who you are. Okay? So I am who I am. I am what I am, says Popeye the sailor man. That's what we got to be. It's just us, right? Be us. Just be you, the way God has made you. Don't, don't try to be somebody else or some fantastic person in some way. But just be you. Being you for God is the unique thing that only you can do. Nobody else can do that. And when you do that, you be you for God, you win. And this is one of the qualifications of being able to stand in this holy place. But also notice it says, in one who has not sworn deceitfully. Now on the surface, again, just sounds like making a promise. Sworn means making a promise. Deceitfully means you were lying when you made the promise on the surface. But the reality is, this is about a commitment to God. Okay, So the one who says, Lord, Lord, does not necessarily enter. But rather, the one who says, Lord, Lord, and means it. The one who says, Lord, Lord, and turns over the keys to their kingdom to God and becomes part of God's kingdom. The one who says, Lord, Lord, and actually follows a Lord, the person who tells him what to do. Lord means he tells you what to do and you do it. Right? So to swear deceitfully, which is what a lot of them got into doing, would say, I am for God. And they go out and live like they are for the devil. You must live rightly. You must be honest. But then they go out and lie. Right? 
chase a man to the ends of the earth and then make him uh, to win him as a proselyte and then make him twice as much a son of the devil as they were. And that's the that's that sworn deceitfully, making a commitment or a promise, but not meaning it, and it, and God is implied. Okay? So not just and, and by the way, this is what happens. We get into falsehood to the point that we can even fool ourselves. So there literally isn't anybody left to lie to. You've lied in some way, intentionally or circumstantially, to everybody in your life and then yourself, and lastly and mostly and most importantly, to God. You have tricked God into believing that you are a follower of God, and guess what? That doesn't actually work. God knows when you're a deceitful swearer. God knows when your promises are lies. God knows when your intentions are are more like the wind than an actual effort. And so, who can stand in his holy place? Well, he who has clean hands, and we already said we have a real problem with that. Um, Paul in Romans 3, of course, right? And we have a pure heart, and that's a problem. And by the way, Jesus said it's what comes out of a man that makes his heart unclean. And so, again, that, that relates back to hands that are unclean because of what you do, and a mouth that's unclean is what you say. If you're in falsehood, of course, then your hands are not clean and your heart's not pure. And then, of course, it says who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood. So we haven't got to that place where we're kidding ourselves, faking out others, manipulating others, lying, tricking, being a hypocrite, and has not sworn deceitfully, made a true promise to God to be one with the Lord or to be following the Lord. Verse 5, He, so now this is that individual, shall receive a blessing from the Lord. The one who is like that shall receive a blessing from the Lord. And righteousness from the God of his salvation. Now, put all that together and it begins to sound like rightness, doesn't it? And righteousness is often confused. Righteousness literally means rightness. You're just going to be right. We'll talk about a standard of rightness before we're through. But righteousness means being right. Being right by God. You could even say being right by God's standards if you want to say that. But here it says, If you were a man of clean hands and a pure heart... If you had not lifted up your soul to falsehood and you had not sworn deceitfully, you could come onto God's holy hill and stand in the presence of the Holy One for a second and then God would give you rightness. (laughs) It sounds like a model of rightness to me that you would already have. If you could do all of those things, you would already have a model of rightness. But according to what the psalmist has written here, you would then need God's righteousness added unto you in order for you to be okay. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And as we heard in our inspirational moment today, a blessing from the Lord is when God essentially talks into being good things about you or on your behalf. And righteousness is the target. It's the goal. And it is here pictured as a gift way before Jesus, way before Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. But here that righteousness is pictured as a gift from God, the God who created everything, and we've misused it. Verse 6. This is the generation, or another translation might say, those will be, or here is, or thus is, or something like that, because it's just singling out, that this is singling out the generation of those who seek Him. So now this is interesting, because here we, we looked at needing clean hands, pure heart, a soul not lifted up to falsehood, not having sworn deceitfully, and then out of that, receiving a blessing and righteousness from, the, from God as his gift, 
Then it says, these are, that's, we're speaking of the generation of those who seek him. And so now what is, has the psalmist given us as the primary qualifier to receive all these blessings and to arrive at that place? Seeking him. Desiring him. This is the generation of those who seek him. Who seek thy face. Even Jacob. And so basically it's talking about Israel. When you see Jacob a lot of times in the Psalms referring to the entire nation of Israel. And so basically it's saying the generation of Israel that truly seeks God will follow this formula and arrive at a righteousness which is a gift from God. Okay? Then verse 7. Now this gets a little poetic for a second. It says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. And so most scholars look at this and they debate. They're they're divided into roughly, I don't know, three or four camps about what David was actually writing writing about. Lifting up your heads. Well, the word here is not literally the head of the gate. It's nothing like that. Lift up your head, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors. And some say, so. okay, so this is talking about the coming in of Jesus into the life of a person. But clearly, if David wrote that, he didn't understand it because he lived hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And if he understood the coming of the Messiah, he didn't necessarily understand the coming of the Holy Spirit, per se. But what he did know, and what did take place during his lifetime, was the coming of the Ark of the Covenant. You may remember this story. If not, I'm going to give you a brief summary. And if you do know it better than I do, then that's okay. That just adds to your knowledge in the background. Okay? So the Ark of the Covenant had not been brought up to Jerusalem. They stopped it in the house of Obed-Edom, if I got his name correctly. He's received a great blessing, having become the caretaker, even though he's you know, a little nervous. He signed one of his sons to always watch after it, keep the room clean, that kind of thing. And his house has been immensely blessed, even though he didn't know God. Didn't know what he was getting into. Didn't really have a choice. Just, here you go, take care of this. Meanwhile, Jerusalem has been blessed, but maybe they're wondering whether they would be more blessed. And of course, David knows that the presence of God is on the Ark of the Covenant. It's said that between the angels on the top of the Ark of the Covenant was kind of like God's footstool. It's where his presence touched down to the earth. And so David had it on his heart that, he need, that, the, that the Ark of the Covenant needed to get up to Jerusalem. Needed to get up to the place of worship, which is a tabernacle at that time, because no temple had been yet built, right? That happens under Solomon. So they need to get it up there where it belonged. You need to get it up there, right? But the reason they stopped there and put it there in the first place is while they were getting it up there, they didn't do it right. They didn't have the priests carry it or the priest bearers carry it. They had they put it on a cart with virgin donkeys or whatever. And what, as it was going along, the donkey stumbled and the, the ark began to tip. And old Uzziah, you know, being the good guy that he was, he reached out to touch, the, just steadied the ark so it wouldn't fall off and he was instantly slain. And it got people all a little bit freaked out. As if they were saying, who may stand in his holy place? As if they were saying, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who can come into contact with God when a man is struck down and immediately destroyed just by God's ark while they were transported? And, and, and as far as we know, he had goodwill. His desire was to do what God would want him to do, to steady the ark. Right? He didn't want to see it get dirty or fall off the cart or anything. So just, just steady it. And he touched it and he was immediately slain. And so the bringing of the Ark of the Covenant up into Jerusalem may have been pictured in in these verses. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. And so it is as if David, the psalmist, is speaking to the gates and doors that would need to be passed through by the Ark of the Covenant to arrive where they were going to take it to. Okay, And so that's one of the 
scholarly interpretations of the text is that he was talking to the, the heads of the gates and the doors themselves. And before you say that's kind of weird, that's something that poets just do, right? You talk to things as if they're real. It's figurative language. It's not meant to be um, literally talking to them. But what is happening then is if there is a gate, if there is a door, and it, the, the formula repeats again in a second, but if there is that, then what is the purpose of the gate? What is the purpose of the door? Well, the purpose of the gate or the door is to keep out enemies, right? We understand we close the gate at night so the wolves don't come in. We close the gate so that we don't get invaded, right? The wall and the gates are to keep out enemies. That's what they're for. And the doors are to keep out. The doors are kind of like a last resort. By the time they get there, that's a problem. But the gate's supposed to keep them out. And then if if you had enemies inside your city, which you could, because they could have come in in the daytime under guise of something else, then now the doors keep out the enemies, right? Doors keep out thieves. Gates keep out enemy armies, but listen, the psalmist understands that the doors and the gates have another purpose. They allow entry. You follow? The reason you have a door and not a wall on the front of your house that faces your driveway is because you might want to go out sometime and you don't want to crawl out a window. Doors provide safety, but they also provide entry. And what the psalmist is saying is, Open up and let the Spirit of God, footstool of God, Spirit of God, right? The, the Ark of the Covenant. Open up and let the Spirit of God come in. And he says it to the doors or gates of the city of Jerusalem as they were expecting the Ark of the Covenant to come in. And, and I like that interpretation. I think it's pretty good. But I also think it applies very strongly to the coming of the Holy Spirit, very strongly to the coming of Jesus. Open up, world, the Son of God is coming. Open up, world, the Holy Spirit has come. Your swearing falsely, your deceitful swearing, is a door or a gate to keep God out. You've got to stop and let God in, is the picture of the psalmist. Almost done. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. And then verse 8 says, who is the king of glory? Don't miss it. Pay attention. We, we were talking about this. This is what the psalm is largely about. That's what the psalmist is saying. So who is the king of glory? And he says, the Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. And a word repeats there. He is strong and mighty. And he is the Lord mighty in battle. And the word that repeats there uh, basically is a characteristic of God. And it doesn't translate well. We say mighty. Um, Mighty one might be a little better, but it wouldn't really fit there. Uh, Because if you say he is the mighty one in battle, you stretch it out. If you say that he is the uh, strong and mighty one, so you're giving, you narrow the scope of what they're talking about. But But essentially what the psalmist is talking about is that the mighty is God's characteristic, right? And a better, a really good word here might be hero, So he is a hero. God is a hero or heroic. So you could say the Lord heroic in battle. The Lord strong and heroic. right? Except that that too would limit the scope of what we're talking about. Because by the way, when you go into the battle and the Lord is heroic in the battle, who made the people that are in the battle? God did. Who made the ground that the battle is fought on? God did. Who made the wind that blows during the battle? God did. So to say that he is heroic in the battle is sort of really shrinking down this heroic characteristic of God, isn't it? 
It's really making him kind of small compared to what he actually is. But the word here is that trait of being a hero. The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. And who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And the Lord of hosts is that phrase that occurs a lot of times in the Old Testament. We talk about that He is the leader of all the angels. It harkens back to Genesis when they said, let us make man in our own image. So He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And then He is the Lord of all of His armies and the kingdom advancing forces. So those who look to God, if God would now say today into the hearts of men, if about uh, tomorrow, Monday morning, if, he, if the Holy Spirit said, I want you to wear blue, and He said it demandingly, He said it clearly, and so that all Christians everywhere heard, I want you to wear blue, guess what everybody would be wearing tomorrow that's a follower of the Lord? We'd all be wearing blue. That's it. There's no question. If God said to me, wear blue, I'd wear blue in a minute. And so He is the Lord of hosts. So those who truly look to Him, who have not sworn falsely, whatever He tells them to do, they do it, whatever it is. He is the Lord of hosts. So many men, and also many angels, Twice as many, if you follow the angels and demons theology that's been developed over time, it's not clearly supported in the scripture, but if you do, there are twice as many angels as there are demons. Because one third of the angels fell. And if you follow that, that's a lot of angels. I submit to you that there are enough demons for a dozen demons for every human being over. And then twice that many angels. I don't know the number, but it's a lot. He is the Lord of hosts. He's also called the King of Glory. And that glory word there is hugely important and we'll come back to it. I'm not going to break it down too hard right now because we're going into the points. Who is the king of glory? That he is the king means that he is in charge of it. He is the master of it. He is the ruler of it. He is sovereign over it. He is the king of glory. Okay, so there's a few things in here that I want you to see that really touched my heart. I hope they'll touch yours too, okay? So the first one is... What are the qualifications to stand? What are the qualifications to stand in God's presence? To remain or to abide might be a better way of saying it. It doesn't just mean stay up on your feet. I submit to you that though I may stay up on my feet if I wanted to, I don't really want to. I'm going to pay him proper homage. I want to get on my face before him. Right? Because of the respect and awe that I have for, for him. But this, in this case, we're talking about to remain or to abide. What are the qualifications to remain or abide in the presence of God? Well, they're clear in this passage of Scripture. Clean hands, it means you're busy doing what you're supposed to be doing, not what you ought not to be doing. A pure heart, it means your motivations are right. Obviously, God has cleansed your heart, so that would be being born again to take it into the New Testament and having a new heart that is seeking after God. And I jumped to the end of the list there, didn't I? It was not lifted up his soul to falsehood, so we're not liars, we're not trickers, we're not manipulators, we're not hypocrites. It's not sworn deceitfully, we've not made a promise to God and with no intention of keeping it. Received a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of salvation. This is the generation that seeks Him. And so our desire is to know God and to receive His righteousness. Not to be right by our own choices or do the best we possibly can even. That isn't even our goal. Our goal is to receive the righteousness of the God of salvation. And nothing less will allow you to remain and abide in His presence. It is a tough standard. If you are going to try to live without God giving you righteousness 
and be right as he has laid it out here and thereby be able to remain or abide in his presence, you would be hard-pressed. I would be hard-pressed. In fact, I would say it is impossible. Paul writes, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This righteousness that God desires yields rightness. It yields being right. It doesn't go the other way around. I was watching a movie, Star Girl, which I recommend, by the way, it has some good Christian themes in it, even though she's not a Christian girl. Recommend that movie. And toward the end of the movie, there's an amazing line, and um, they said, uh, she says, or the, the boy says, everyone was winning. We were happy. Everyone was happy because we were winning. And she says, people aren't happy because, they're, because they win. People win because they're happy. Think about that for a second. People aren't happy because they win. People win because they're happy. What goes on inside you has more pull and more effect on what you do and how you interact with people and how you perceive people when they interact with you than the other way around. There is no one on the face of the earth that can create Anything inside you, not if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they will try. They might even actually be able to do it if you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ because you absorb what they say or do. I remember when I wasn't saved and people said things about me and I took them in and it became part of who I was. I self-identified with the statements and actions of others and myself. And it created in me something that would have lasted a lifetime except God destroyed it and made me reborn. Now having been reborn, only God can create things inside me. The Holy Spirit has sealed up my heart. Now, the enemy, evil, evil spirits and demons, my own flesh, the world's teachings, those things put thoughts in my head, but they never take root and become who I am. They've tried, believe me. When I was first beginning to plant uh, new heights, uh, a person that I had great respect for said, uh, made a statement, um, and it was kind of jokingly done, and uh, somebody might even remember it. It says, it's hard to soar with eagles when you're flying with turkeys. And I thought, what is the purpose of that statement at this time? There's no purpose for that. There's no reason to do that, say that, whatever. 20 years later, during the middle of a bout of spiritual warfare where the enemy was trying to convince me that I had no business being a pastor, that I couldn't plant a church, I couldn't serve, that I couldn't teach the word, that I couldn't encourage people to live for God the way that they're supposed to. And don't think I don't do that. <laughs> okay? I'm a human being like anybody else. Those thoughts get in my head. And I, was, and I was going through that. And there it came, roaring out of the darkness. It's hard to soar with eagles when you're flying with turkeys. And I'm asking myself, am I a turkey? The people I'm with, are they turkeys? Who wants to live for the Lord anyway? Why do, these people aren't serving God. I can't get them to serve God. Nobody can. We can't do it. And it came right on the heels of a great betrayal when I found out a brother in Christ had been slandering me behind my back. And I'm, I, suddenly I am ripped open wide as if the enemy were going to come in and just pluck my heart out and throw it on the street trying to be run over by a semi. And there come the Holy Spirit. And I realized this was an evil spirit attack. And He led me to rebuke that attack. And I rose from that position. Hear me now. 
born again, no one can create anything inside you except the God of the universe. And you can have a pure heart. Trusting in the Lord and seeking the Lord daily, you can put off the fleshly things that would invade. How are we qualified to stand? Well, we're qualified by God's qualifications. Because He does it. Because He makes it right. You don't become righteous because you make right choices. You make right choices because you are righteous. Because the God of heaven has made you righteous. If you're following along in your Bibles, go with me, if you would, to Galatians chapter 3. Paul is writing to the churches of Galatia, which are probably not one church or multiple churches. And he's talking about this very topic. He says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? This is verse 1. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Who, who did this to you? you? You saw Jesus crucified. You understood that. And now someone has bewitched you. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? In other words, the Holy Spirit of God. Did He come in because you trusted God or, and, and heard the Word and trusted? Or did He come in by your works? Are you foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So this is what people do. They accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit comes in and then they start making all these rules and laws and things that they have to follow. And if they can't follow them, they're useless to God and so on. Did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Does He then who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Do you hear that right there? It's those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. It doesn't matter where else they come from. If they are of faith, they are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. Before the Jews ever accepted all the nations. God said to Abraham, all the nations shall be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. In other words, if you're going to go that route, if you're going to, and we're getting on to the second point now, but if you're going to go that route and you're going to find yourself righteous by works of the law, if you need to be right to be righteous, then he says, then no one would be righteous. Because you need to be right and you'll never be completely right. You'd have to follow all the works of the law to be right. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident for the righteous man shall live by faith. See, that also is quoting uh, Old Testament. The righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So in other words, he said, Jesus, the Son of God, became the curse for us to take the curse that was on us. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Did you get that? In Christ Jesus... The blessing of Abraham, Abraham had a promise, it's a fourfold promise actually, you can go back and read it in Genesis 12, might come to the Gentiles, so that's us, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. 
Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. What I am saying is this, the law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. That's the promise made to Abraham. That's what he's talking about. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed should come to whom the promise had been made. Jesus, right? Now a mediator is not for one party only whereas God is only one? Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scripture has shut up all men under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come. We are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to the promise. The qualifications to stand in the presence of God. You need to be clean hands. You need to be a pure heart. You need to be your soul will not lift up the falsehood. You need to be not swearing deceitfully to God. But actually, you need to have a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of salvation which come to the generation of those who seek Him. Qualifications to stand. That's a big deal, isn't it? I want to know what it takes to remain in the presence of God. And we're beginning to get an inkling of it. The second thing I want you to see in here is that they looked at this passage of Scripture and they immediately saw you must be right by the law. So if we say you have to have clean hands, what is the standard of clean hands? Hands that don't steal, hands that don't fake the measure. At the, when you sell meat, you don't add a couple extra ounces by putting your pinky on the scale. You know, hands that actually work when they're supposed to be working and don't work when they're not supposed to be working and so on. Clean hands. Hands that actually do the things you're supposed to do. Where are you going to get the standard of what you're supposed to do? You get it from the law, right? So they would look at that and they would say, okay, we've got to be right by the law. Except what? Absolutely, exactly, almost nobody ever made it. <laughs> by the time the law came in, nobody ever made it. There isn't anybody after the law comes in that makes it. But there are those who look at the law and see the law pointing to a coming Messiah, an anointed one, a Christ, a Jesus, the Son of God, They see the seed of Abraham pointed to and they make it in. Hence, David's heart of contrition, right? Hence, David could repent and turn back to God after he sinned. And he could be forgiven by God and receive righteousness from God. Because God is willing and able to give it if you will realize you cannot be right by the law. Back to Hebrews, repentance of dead works. You cannot be right by the law. Does that mean then that you should not enact the things found in the law? No. Remember, people are not 
righteous because they're right. People are right because they're righteous. You do what's right because of what God has created in you. That's the order that things go. Here, right here, it's very clear that the law was being pointed to as a standard of how to live. Yet it says, if you manage to live by that law, verse 5, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And then, this is the generation of those who seek him. If you got out of bed in the morning and went, okay, God, what do you want me to do now? And if you fought off lust and you fought off covetry and you fought off idolatry and you basically tried to live, and yes, you'd be making mistakes, you basically tried to live the way that God wanted you to live, trusting in the Lord to provide, guess what the Lord would do? He would provide. Salvation was still provided the same way hundreds of years before Jesus' birth. You had to trust in the seed that God would provide the promise too, which was Jesus. And when you believe in Jesus, you are joined to Him. He becomes a curse for us and we get the salvation that God provided, which is in tune with righteousness. The qualifications to stand, you must be right. You and I both know by the standards of the law, we're not going to make that. But by pursuing God, seeking after God and wanting what God wants, we have the promise that God will provide it for us. The third thing I want you to see in here is that what we have is a hero God. If you would read the Old Testament and go through every law and say, do I do that? Have I ever done that? Have I done that? Have I done that? What do you think your batting percentage would be? Have you ever lusted after a member of the opposite sex? You've committed adultery. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Most of us realistically probably couldn't even get through half of the Ten Commandments without saying, yep, I've done that, yep, I've done that, yep, I've done that. We'd go down that list, and by that standard, you would not meet the standard of being able to come into the presence of the Lord, let alone stand and abide and remain in the presence of the Lord, which is what you want to do for an eternity. And because that is our state, was our state, would always be our state, our God saw fit to do what was necessary. Do you know what the definition of a hero is? A hero is someone uh, with distinguished courage or ability who is admired for his or her brave deeds or noble qualities. Our God is the hero of heroes. That's amazing, the fascination that, that Americans and really it's the world over have with various heroes, right? There's Heroes in comic books and movies and things like that. Everything from Marvel to DC and a big conflict between the two, although we think, I think we pretty much know who won that now. But the bottom line is, there's the heroes. And people have a fascination with heroes. It's cool. He can do this. He can do that. Now, we know we can't fly. We can't leap uh, buildings in a single bound. We can't uh, summon up things made from green out of our ring. Uh, we can't shout so loud that we blast people backwards. We can't do those things. Well, why do people have fascination with heroes? You say, well, it's just a good story. It's more than that. Because every hero that has ever existed, you, you say you're not big into superheroes and comics or whatever? How about football? You ever watch a football game or a basketball game or whatever, and you got the quarterback back you know, on, on fourth down in the fourth quarter, throws the ball 75 yards for completion, a guy dips around the, the, the safety or whatever and falls in the end zone and wins the game, and everybody's like, yeah, they're jumping up and down. 
breaking their furniture. And he's their hero that day. Everybody that plays NFL football is a hero. They're all way out of the league of everybody who plays, for example, high school football or even college football, right? It, it trickles down so far that by the time you get to some people playing professional football, they are the cream of the crop. They're the smallest number of people that's left still playing football at that point in time after they played in high school and college and walked on and whatever they all had to do, right? Got drafted. They're heroes. Why are we interested in that? Well, here is why. Because in you, in me, is the desire to know God. You say, but, but they're not gods. I submit to you, to a 10-year-old that doesn't know Christ, Peyton Manning is like a god. They look up at him, and what he can do. They dream about doing it. They hope to someday be at least a college player, if not a professional player. They look up to greatness. To them, it's greatness. They're certainly a hero. And if they're a hero, and God also has the trait of being heroic, which is clearly in our text today, then they are, in that sense, like God. And when people want to be like them, it is a misdirected, slightly skewed version of desiring to be like God. And what did Adam or rather Eve, I should say, what did Eve see in the fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? She saw that it was profitable to be like God. See, that's why people, now I'm not saying that that makes it sin inherently or whatever, but it certainly can, can't it? Isn't it easy to do that? It's so easy to set out to be pursuing God and to get off course. Are you familiar with the story of Gideon at all? He's one of the judges. His big conflict was with the Ishmaelites, and they call him out, you know, and he's not really a soldier or a general or anything. They call him out, and then he has a couple of really impressive victories where God widows his army of tens of thousands down to just 300, and they break the pitchers, and they wave the torches, and the guys kill each other, and then they chase them down, and they hunt them down all across the country. And you know what happens right after that? The Israelites come to Gideon and say, you be our king. You rule over us as a judge, at least as all, all these judges. And not only that, we're going to have you and we're going to have your children do it too. That'll be like a king then, not like a judge because it was judgedom, if you will, wasn't passed down to your children. But kingliness, that's passed down to your children. So they're going to pass it down to Gideon's children and say, you be our ruler and we'll pass it down. And, you know, and does anybody know what Gideon said? Beautiful. He said, no, no. I will not be your ruler. God will be your ruler. But do you remember what happens next? He asks them for one thing. What one thing? Yeah, it, comes, it becomes an ephod. Golden earrings. And then he melts that into an ephod. Right? And then he puts it in his house. And first his family. And then all of Israel begin to worship it instead of God. You can set out to be heroic, set out to be seeking after God. You can desire to be right. You can have every purpose in your heart to do the things that God wants you to do. And along the way comes one thing or another and you latch onto that instead of God. God is the one and only hero. It is not your dad it is not your grandpa. It is not your quarterback. It is not your officers in the military. It is not your president. God is the hero. 
The one thing that we needed, the one thing that we must have was righteousness. You have to be able to remain or abide in the presence of God for eternity. That's it. You have to. But you were living under a curse and contained in the law is the parameters, if you will, of that curse. We were in, it says, we were in custody of the law. It was our provisionary prison. It was temporary prison, right? We were stuck there knowing we were not right because of the clarity of the law. And when you started to realize, you know, it says I shouldn't lie, but I'm lying, then that kind of go, hmm, that's, that's really kind of going to be a problem. I'm going I'm to have to get rid of that lion before I come up in front of God. But i got time, and I'm going to God today, so I'm going to have to get rid of that lion before I get there, right? I have to become charitable. I'm going to have to start serving. I see Jesus talking about serving. I'm going to have to start doing that, right? If that's how you're living your Christianity, hear me now, you don't have the righteousness that God offers because you're not right, because the number one, the most important, the only thing that God was looking for in this passage of Scripture that we're reading today in order for Him to bestow righteousness on you was you must be seeking after God. And if you're seeking after God, then God will see your efforts and He will, the God of salvation will, heroically rip you out of the jaws of Satan, bring you from the darkness into the light, and puts you to work in His kingdom of God, a righteous servant. That's what God does. Jesus said there's a job. To become a worshiper in spirit and truth. To become a follower of the living God. Yeah, you'll go back then and you'll read your Bible and it will provide you with conviction. You'll say, well, I, I shouldn't be doing the things I'm doing. And, but not guilt. It will not destroy you. It will not chase you out of the presence of God and it would, it would not even disqualify you so that you would be destroyed in the presence of God. Remember, He's the King of glory. So in the New Testament, when you see the word glory, it comes from, it comes from the word light. And to glorify something is to shine a light on it. In the Old Testament, there's a bunch of different versions of the word glory, as you can imagine, because they were very precise about the glory of God. But this particular one is kabod, and there's others, kabed, kabod, and, and words that they add to it, things like that. But this one, and it means to add a weightiness. The, the thing has a weightiness to it. So I created a word um, for God in this passage of Scripture, and it's heroness. God has heroness. That's his trait. It, God adds to his, and when you follow God, he adds to your mattering. He adds to his own and he adds to your substance. This is about God's character and it's about God wanting to give the character of God to you and me. That's what it's all about. Will you pursue after God? Will you call him Lord? He tells me what to do and I do it. And Savior, I know he took the curse from me. Will you do that and have Allow Him to add to your mattering. Allow Him to add to your substance. Allow Him to add to your character. That's what we are entreated to do as we look to the coming of Jesus. Open up. Yes, the same power to allow entry also precludes entry. You can stop God from being resident in you. 
You can stop God from refining your character and turning you into something that He can truly use in exactly the right moment where a soul might be on the line. And then, by way of conclusion, we'll go to Psalm 50. Psalm 50. Probably another psalmist, not David. This may have been some guy named Asaph. (laughs) Or that may have been a a musical term. Psalm 50 says this. The mighty one, by the way, that's the same word. The heroic one, the mighty one, our hero God, the Lord has spoken. And he summoned the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shown forth. God has shown us the perfect, per, the perfection of beauty out of Zion, and that's a picture of heaven. Zion is always a word, almost always used for heaven. Verse 3, May our God come and not keep silence. Fire devours before Him, and it is very tempestuous around Him. He summons the heaven above and the earth to judge His people. Gather my godly ones to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And that is the sacrifice of Jesus. And our covenant is to have him as Lord and Savior. Verse 6. And the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Now look at this. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. This is God speaking. I did not reprove you for your sacrifices and your burnt offerings are continually before me. I shall take no young bull out of your house, nor male goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. If you ever wondered where that comes from, there it is. I'm going to say it again, verse 10. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. You hear what God's saying here? He's saying, look, I don't need your sacrifices. When I take them, I don't take them because I need them. I take them because of what they represent. When you serve and give sacrificially, when you go out of your way and risk your life, your well-being, your finances, your whatever, for God, He doesn't take that because He has need. God doesn't need you to win every last person who ever would come to Christ. He doesn't need you to do that. Or me. Or any of the greatest evangelists who ever lived. God can totally do it all by Himself. He doesn't need us. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Verse 11. I know every bird of the mountains and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all it contains. Shall I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of male goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honor me. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to tell of my statutes? How can you go and tell people how to live for God or about God when your heart is not right with God, when you will not submit to God and receive his salvation, his righteousness, and yet you, can't, you, you think you can go and tell people what's right? But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to tell of my statutes and to take my covenant in your mouth? For you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you associate with adulterers. You let your mouth loose in evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done 
and I kept silence. You thought that I was just like you. I will reprove you and state the case in order before your eyes. Verse 22, Now consider this, you who forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me, and to him who orders his way aright, I shall, wait for it, show the salvation of God. Our heroic God will save and deliver righteousness. Indeed, has already saved and already delivered righteousness for those who choose Him above everything and everyone else. Married couples in the room hear me now. It's so easy to get wrapped up in the lives of your spouse. So easy to get wrapped up in making them do or be what you want them to do or be. So easy to get wrapped up in what they think. So easy to get wrapped up in the last fight you had. Drop it. God is God. And they are not. Parents in the room understand it's so easy to get wrapped up in what your children think. We absorb some of our theology. We absorb some of our important decisions from our children. They are so beautiful. We have such love in our hearts for them. God has given us them so that we can understand the love that He has in His heart for us. God is God. You got a good job or bills coming in that you don't know how you're going to pay. It's so easy to get wrapped up in the things of this world and the cares of this world choke out the growth that you are supposed to have. You must get busy making your ways as he said, all right. He said, well, I know enough of the Bible. I don't really need to study it. <laughs> well, that's not what the Bible says. He said, well, I know enough about God I don't, or, or about what's happening. I don't really need to pray and ask God for wisdom. I don't need to pray and tell God what's going on because God knows everything. Or I don't need to mark aside time to pray. That's just not true. He said, well, nobody asked me so I don't have to go out of my way to serve or hunt them down and figure out what they need and find some way. Listen, if they don't need anything at all, buy them a stinking candy bar, their favorite if possible. If they don't need anything at all, give them a word of encouragement because they'll store it up in their treasure house and then a week or a month or a year later when they need it, that word of encouragement will come out and they'll use it to be strong. Jesus said, if you know what I did when I did this to you, now that I have served you, Go and do likewise. It's time we start making our ways aright, yes. And look at the law, yes. But trust in the Lord alone for righteousness. Because that's the only way you're going to get it. And it is exactly what you need. You don't need rightness. You need God-bestowed righteousness from the hero God. And He has promised He will provide it if we will allow it. But you can say no. If you're here today and you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, I submit to you, you need to get busy. You need to be diligent. You need to be strong to not allow those ephods to come into your life. To not allow things to come into your life that will lure you, distract you away. If you measure the amount of time that you're spending on entertainment or on family or on your job, and you can't say with certainty that your entertainment, family, and job are, job are filled with the Lord, 
then those things all added together better come up less than the amount of time you're spending on seeking the Lord. Because it's your desire for the Lord and your heart for the Lord and your yearning for His presence that will make it possible for Him to bestow that righteousness on you and then you can stand, remain, and abide in His presence long term. If you don't want God with all every fiber of your being, then you need to repent and turn to God today so that He can kindle that fire because you've got a problem. Because when it gets scary or intimidating or when the trump sounds and you've got to go with Jesus... You just might choose not to. And if you would choose not to on that day, you are not currently saved. Order your ways aright. Yes. Do the right things. But kindle in yourself a spirit to know God. To desire everything that is of God. Let's say, for example, you're here today and you'd say, oh, uh, you know, based on the fact that I may have sworn deceitfully, I may have said I was a follower of Lord Jesus Christ, but now I realize maybe I wasn't. Maybe I wasn't truly making that decision. You need to today to decide to allow God alone to be your hero, to be your savior. All the matterness that ever was and ever will be is in God. All the things that people are falling in love with in this world will eventually be gone. And then it will be the new heaven and the new earth. And you'll either be in or you won't. And God himself said, for the wicked, for those who will not accept his way, who will not accept him, will not follow God through Jesus, because he was talking about the seed that would come, he will come and destroy them. Now, if you think you can hold God back now, you're probably right. If you think you can hold back then, hold him back then, you're dead wrong. So if you're here today and you have not in earnest accepted Jesus Christ Lord and Savior, okay, the Lord is t- tells me what to do and I do it, and the Savior paid the price for my sins, and I want to be born again, and I want to follow God with all that I am, every ounce of my being, I want to if I find any part of me that is not following God, I want to, to enlist that part. That's what it means to be saved. Father in heaven, help us as we look at this text today, as we see the approaching of the coming of Jesus, the study, uh, if you will, as we're considering his birth on the earth. Jesus literally put it all on the line for you and really for us. The efforts were heroic, and that's a, a small, petty word that tries to help us understand that when we had nothing, when we were at the end of our efforts and we needed somebody to step in, you were there, past tense, were there to step in for us. You are there, present tense, right now to step in for us. And you will be there, future tense, right then to step in for us. Because I know that is who the God you are. I pray that no one will leave this room without committing themselves 100% to seek you and to set their ways aright the best they know how. Lord, bestow your righteousness and out of that righteousness, help us to be right. You are my hero. In Jesus' name, amen. Ask the praise team to come forward at this time and lead us in a closing hymn. This is also a hymn of meditation.
So if you're uh, contemplating the things we've talked about today, if you realize you have not truly given your life to the Lord, then you do that now and make it public. Um, and if you've done so, but you realize that you've allowed things to distract you, to become more important, if you, if you can smell or sense an ephod in your life like Gideon's, then you say, no more, and you repent today. And you come and make your decision public and say, no, only God. God, God first and God in all things. And if there's some other decision that's on your heart today, something else that you need to make public, then you come and do that today. You can just come stand in front, and then we'll let you speak when that moment comes. Um, if you're not already doing so, but if you're comfortable to do so, would you stand as we sing this song, We Surrender All. And there's a lot in that all. I understand that, and so does he.
my focus and my surrender all has to be now. Because I wasted a lot of time. Amen. And we can only, we really only can do anything about today. You know? There's no regret and no worry. Doesn't mean you don't learn from your past. We've made mistakes. We've all made mistakes. And so I encourage you to look at your past and be realistic about it. But we don't allow that to fill us with regret. Because regret would just be a burden to slow you down. You don't need to do that. If you did learn something from it, turn to the Lord. Turn to the Lord. Let Him heal that. And let Him make something out of that. And that's, you know, I, 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 think, I think it's a noble pursuit to want to try to win another person to the Lord so much that you get wrapped up in them. Uh, but I also think that there was a lot of things going on there too. That would be my guess. And so uh, we repent, we turn to the Lord only. Anyone else has a word today? Once? Twice? All right. Uh, Brother Tony Brister, Deacon, my friend, would you close us in prayer today? Dear Father, Lord, thank you for this day and bringing us here uh, to this place today. Thank you for those who came. Thank you for the word that was shared. And uh, Lord, we ask you to still those words in us. Help us think on them. God, you've got the future in your hands. Yes. All we got is right now. So, Lord, help, help us to live for you one day at a time, one minute at a time, one breath at a time. That you got it back. And again, you got the future in your hands. Thank you for bringing us. <clears throat> we ask you, which uh, says, we go from here, we do whatever we do this week, and provided we have more we can do something. So that's up for you too. So thank you again. Thank you very much. So there will be a team leader meeting in a little bit, uh, and we'll meet in the cafeteria. Thank you.